Startups and Sports Administration Revenue Mobile Placement Podcast. I'm Bryce Lee. This week on the program, we're honored to be joined by Northwestern alum Carmen Vitale. Carmen is a staff writer and senior coordinator of digital content for the NFL's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Carmen attended Arizona State University Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication for undergraduate studies, where she interned for the Sun Devils Athletic Department in their Sports Information Department. Carmen holds a master's degree from Northwestern University in Sports Administration, where she graduated in 2016, right before taking her first job with the Bucks as a team copywriter. Carmen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. I love, you know, talking Northwestern and seeing, I love, you know, listening to all these people that have graduated the program and um, I hope I'm doing the program proud. <laughs> you already are. And I mean, that's a main reason that we, you know, one of the primary reasons we want to have you on is, is it's so cool to see former students do such, you know, really interesting things. And you've been an amazing sort of ambassador for the program another program in Northwestern in general. And so it, it's great to have you on. And it's, it's even better in the sense that like, you know, we were talking before we started recording, what, what a year for you in, <laughs> in Florida, um, even though you can get to experience it the same way. But what is a staff, staff writer makes sense to me in yeah. a lot of ways. And I think a lot of our listeners, but you tell us more about a staff writer, but also senior coordinator of digital content. That's a big wide-ranging title. So what does what does Carmen do day to day? I think the senior coordinator of digital content is kind of the way to um, incorporate all all other duties as assigned. And so it, it, gives, it gives me not only the freedom, but it also gives the organization the freedom to be like, hey, you can do this, you should do it. Uh, what it really entails though, um, and what sets it apart from maybe just being the staff writer is um, curating content for not only for myself, but for the Bucks uh, as a team. Um, and then I also post all of my articles and all this stuff on the back end of our website, the content management system. Uh, I've had to learn how to do that. The NFL, every NFL team uses the same platform as developed for the NFL, uh, but each team obviously has their own. So not only am I, you know, sourcing the content, producing the content, writing the content, uh, but I also then put it on the website myself. So we, but we do have a team, um, a digital team that also, that helps me out obviously, and does a lot of the other stuff as far as videos and, and, you know, we have our in the current series currently airing right now. Um, and it, that, that's just one of those all encompassing things where not only does it go on our website, it goes on Facebook watch, it goes on YouTube, it goes on all this, all this backend stuff that you really don't think about, especially when it comes to the distribution of content. Um, that's kind of what that speaks to you more is the, is coordinating all of that, hence the coordinator title. <laughs> you're, you're, when you talk about CMS, you're speaking my language in the sense that from a tech perspective, it's a lot of the things that, you know, I worked on for years and from still to a day, you know, on a day-to-day basis, but it's amazing to think about. You're right. That so much work goes into that you know, sort of propagation of content, this sort of supply chain behind it. And no one really ever thinks of that. Exactly. And it's a huge task and it's come a long way also. I mean, when I first started, um, especially in this capacity for the Bucks as a staff writer, uh, we were still using the old version, which was kind of varied by team. And it was like, you had to code, you had to do all this. It didn't just magically put everything together in a neat little package for you. Uh, it was really clunky and it just, there were just so many things that went wrong. And so when you see, you know, things on websites that, you know, obviously look like something's broken, uh, I have a little bit more of a sympathy for that because I'm going through that. Now the, the CMS that the NFL uses now is pretty comprehensive. Um, you don't have to use the coding side of it. You can if you want, but it, it's it translates it pretty well when you just kind of copy and paste from a Word document or something like that. It's amazing too. You 
you know, you have to spend your life with aspirations of being a sports writer. And it's, it's really interesting to see how, you know, I think a lot of us have a concept of sports writer and journalist in, in, in our mind, but don't often think of those parts of, of the journalism sort of experience, but, you know, Carmen, how did you, how did you get to this point? You you know, you said, you've mentioned previously that it was something being a journalist and a sports journalist was always something that you wanted to do. How did that sort of evolve to where you are today? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll never forget it. I was like nine years old and I'd always grown up loving sports and I, it was due to my father. My father's a huge sports fan. Um, he's not, he's not, he didn't play. I think he played rugby in college, but he never played football, but for whatever reason, I was just captivated by it. And I was captivated by it because I think of the reaction that it gave people. So I would sit in these living rooms with my dad, my uncles, whoever it was around a TV, watching a football game. And these were grown men screaming at this television. Like these athletes could hear them. And I just thought it was the fun, the most fun thing ever. Um, but I, one day I looked on the sidelines and I realized there were more people on the sidelines than just players and coaches as my, you know, football brain was developing. And I asked my dad who those people were. And at that point I'd always written stories. I don't know what really got me into writing in the very beginning, but I mean, since I was like a toddler and I could start writing is when I started writing stories. So my dad goes, well, you could write stories about your favorite football team. I'm like, really? So that's kind of like where the idea got in my head. And I mean, I don't think there is a straight path to this in, in, in this industry in general, like not even just for journalists, but, um, you know, I went kind of the sports information route. You mentioned that, you know, in Arizona state, when I was there, I fell into the sports information office because my college roommates like neighbor was like, Oh yeah. You want to do sports? I know somebody let's just, you know, go, whatever, go talk to them for a second. And then it turned into a four-year internship. Um, and it was great. And I just kind of kept falling in love with like the minutia of the game and just the game itself. And I had some really great mentors during that time that pushed me. And we're like, if you want to do this, you can do this. They would let me write for, you know, editorial stuff for, for the magazine sometimes, in addition to doing all of the kind of dry PR related writing. Um, and then even the internships I took after that, uh, which were major, mainly in Major League Baseball, I uh, had the same, you know, kind of experience where I was doing all the stats and stuff and became that stat nerd. But I was afforded an opportunity to kind of go over to the editorial side and write for the magazines, the team magazines and stuff like that. So um, with the job with the Bucks, it was one of those things where I didn't really realize I was just getting in the door in any way I could. But that's kind of what ended up happening. They had a copywriter position open. I was about to graduate Northwestern um, and I had a friend there at the, at the Bucks and he put my resume in front of the right person. So I got in there and then our entire digital department kind of left and I was like, well, I can write, <laughs> I want to write. And, uh, you know, a couple of years later, then it turned into a full-time, you know, a promotion. My, my, and I loved, you know, my boss for that. I thank her all the time for it, uh, for kind of trusting me to just kind of take it on and run with it. And I did, and I did both jobs actually for a while. <laughs> Uh, while they hired my replacement, but uh, it's turned out to be wonderful. And writing for a team is something that uh, wasn't necessarily on my radar, especially even, even in journalism school, you know, I thought more beat writer or, or stuff like that, but I really appreciate this role just because of you get to feel like you are a part of the team and, and you get to tell all these awesome stories and, you know, get put a really nice like spin on it and tell the positive stuff without having to necessarily be negative. So I like that part of it. <laughs> that is a nice part of it. Right. And it, it's cool to hear how, you know, and it's, it, it's a credit to you in the sense of 
having those skills and being able to then seize upon the opportunity, right? So it, it's funny. I was once a student, at, at a graduate student at Northwestern. And when I was a graduate student, I know this is going to date me. Here it goes. But social media was really just becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of really smart people in the program that were like, I understand social media and I understand sports business. And they were going to teams and leagues and, and saying, hey, you need a social media director. You need someone in this space. And they got jobs because of that sort of convergence of things. So it's really cool to see how you can parlay that into, you know, sort of where you are today and still, still using those things. But I guess that's the question is, how different is it now versus when you started or even back when you were a little girl and could write stories about how different is it? And what do you think, you know, the concept of what you had in your head versus what you do day to day? Yeah. I mean, I'll date myself a little bit too, but like in undergrad, I graduated Arizona state 2011. So my, our social media, like education in that matter, like, I think there's an entire major now at that journalism school for social media before that it was like a mandatory online media class. That was what we had to take. And that was it. And that like, they made us sign up for Twitter. They made us do that, but it was like, it wasn't as robust by any stretch of the imagination as it is now. And it's such an integral part of my job now and not only because not only are you writing stories and but you have to source that content from somewhere and so you yes you can be and being a team writer affords you the opportunity to have FaceTime with these players with these coaches that aren't afforded to everyone on a day-to-day basis you know you have media availability you have all that kind of stuff to get these guys in front of the media at large but when you're a team writer it's like these are the guys you pass in the hallway these are the guys that are in the dining room you have that aspect of it, but social media is so, so powerful for building relationships. And I would say even more so for building relationships with your colleagues. So I know so many more team writers from all over the league or, you know, just journalists in general that I admire, that I look up to. I mean, I know you had, you had Sarah Spain on here, like just being able to kind of connect with her on social media or Mina Kimes or any of these people that you kind of look up to in this industry. Um, and you can build your network that way. And it's such a crucial, crucial part of this entire industry because it's so small, right? Like everyone knows somebody. And so like, if you are looking for another opportunity or what have you, or if you have a friend that is like, it's just, you're never too far away. Like there's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, like mm-hmm. there's even less in sports. <laughs> and Thank I want to come up with an equivalent for someone in sports. It's like maybe four degrees to Magic Johnson. I don't know. <laughs> that could work. We got to find a, a real journeyman, you know, somebody that uh, that played a lot of places, maybe Robert Ory, thinking yeah. an old, an older. Yeah. You or know, the, even like a guy who played like multiple sports like Bo Jackson. <laughs> there you go. Right. And you're, you're so right though. And I think that, you know, a lot of our listeners are in that boat of, of it's one of those things where you get in and you mm-hmm. can grow within because of those networks and the relationships you create. And, and it, it goes a long way. Sports is a very small business and especially the things that you do every day have really started to shrink the world in a lot of ways. Right. And because if you think about it now, you know, imagine yourself again, back to that analogy of of you being a little girl with your father and those things. Did, could you imagine being a, you know, a writer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Somewhere in Florida. You also don't like the cold. You're in Arizona state (laughs) and I live in Florida. I actually do. It's crazy. Mm. Like my opportunities is like, keep pushing me in these warm climates. But like, I tell everyone that I'm like, I would take the cold over like the summers in Florida 
That's true. You do get the flip, right? You get the really, really hot, but man, I think in certain months you're, you're going to be in a whole lot better shape than, than us in Chicago. But I mean, so it, it, it's really interesting to see how these things have evolved, right. From a writing perspective and how we engage. And do you think that, you know, being immersed in this all the time from a generational perspective, do fans engage with you and your content and the team and their content in different ways based on, generational pieces or those starting to come back together? And do you look at that? Do you aim to target different fans or speak to different fans and connect with them different ways based on the sort of consumption back to the, I guess, Marshall McLuhan sort of medium is the message type thing. Is that really true? I mean, it is. And you can see it by platform. Like the way that I engage on Twitter is completely the way different than the way I engage on Instagram or that I engage on Facebook or what I'm writing on the website. Um, You know, Facebook kind of tends to skew a little bit older. And so you want, I think it's more stat heavy. It's more like people just want, you know, and, and they have more of a patience, I feel like for maybe long form or just kind of like getting in the weeds of statistical stuff, film breakdown, stuff like that. Twitter has a little bit less, I feel like of a, of a patience for it, but if you can make it in these little digestible tweets and you can make a thread, like I'll do film breakdown threads um, and, and they can, cons- people can consume it that way. And that works really well on Twitter versus Instagram, which is just purely visual. And there's really not a lot to elaborate on. So you want to just kind of show the punchiest thing you possibly can. Um, and yeah, it does break down. I feel like by uh, generation again, like Facebook kind of skews older all the way down to Instagram. And then now down to TikTok. I'm slowly but surely getting into TikTok, but you talk about having, you know, the attention span there is like 10 to 15 seconds. Like there's, and it's really interesting kind of diving into all the analytics that we have um, on the back end of, cause you can tell you like there are, you know, studies about attention span on attention spans on different mediums, attention spans with different age groups. Uh, so you have to kind of tailor your approach uh, in in those ways. But I really enjoy that's what I really enjoy about social media is getting to engage with the fans most of the time. Um, <laughs> there's always, you know, there's always those keyboard warriors, but yes. um, it's still a lot of fun because then you can really also gauge what they want to see and you can figure out what does well. And, you know, you can just bring more of what fans want to see and try to bring them closer to the team. Cause that's my job at the end of the day, especially being a team writer is to bring fans closer to the team. And I do not take any of those comments that I get for granted, for granted of people telling me, I feel like I was there with you. I feel like, you know, I got to know so much more about the Bucks this year. Thank you so much. Like even in this COVID pandemic world, you know, thank you so much for getting us as close as you could to the team. And, and I really, you know, didn't feel like there was a huge lapse. Like that stuff means most to me because that's our purpose as journalists. And I think, and I don't know if it gets convoluted with some people where, you know, maybe they think like it's more about their content, whatever. I'm like, I try to push the team as much as possible because I'm like, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm here it's to be the medium. It's a really interesting divide that you bring up, though, because you talk about the analytics on the back end. And I think that's one of the really powerful things that sometimes we don't think about. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you, you obviously are taking the cues from that content, from that, that the analytics on the back end of the data that says, hey, content like this is engaged with in different ways, or there's an uptake on this type of content because of certain things. If you think back historically to people that wrote in general or about sports, you know, take someone like with Bob Ryan, right? Or even he's a Northwestern alum like Mike Wilbon, right? Like people sought him out because he shaped the story. 
right? right. Now it's kind of the flip in, or I guess I would ask, do you think it's kind of the flip in, it seems like you really do such a good job of taking the cues from the engagement that you get, the fans and those things, and then crafting the story based or crafting the content that, that, that wants to be out there based on what those, those analytics say. Yeah. I think that that's just added maybe an extra step. Whereas, you know, journalism a couple decades ago was kind of solely at the discretion of the journalist. Well, now you have all of these cues that you can take, but it's still at the end of the day, you still have to shape your story. And I feel like there are so many journalists out there that people gravitate towards the ones that they identify with the most or that tell the story in a certain way. Um, I think that's how you can separate yourself as as one of the great journalists is how you frame stories. Cause I mean, I still think about guys like Mike Wilbon or like Peter King, I grew up, you know, reading and it's like the way that they look at things and their analysis is why you keep going back to them. So there's still that element there. And I don't want to lose sight of that necessarily, but it's kind of now come, it comes after kind of figuring out, all right, well, I know that the larger audience wants to see this kind of stuff. And it's like, all right, let me bring my spin to this, avenue or to this subject or to this medium or however, like I'm kind of right. Currently we're going kind of more podcasty. We're getting into more podcasts. I'm going to be coming out with another podcast uh, around training camp for the team. And it's because we've realized that this is how people are starting to digest um, more, you know, in-depth stories and you to tell stories like print is not necessarily the best medium anymore because of these attention spans because of these different things everyone wants to multitask and you can't do that when you're reading um so podcasts have become something like that so it's like even if it's not a larger subject maybe it's the medium that you kind of take your cues from and so i took my cues from hey podcast might be a good thing. And so now it's like, I will bring my spin on the subjects I want to talk about, but I'm going to deliver it to you in a way that is digestible for you. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, it's funny. I was just listening to another podcast. I am, I probably consume more podcasts now than anything else. Although I have fallen down the, <laughs> the TikTok rat hole sometimes. <laughs> it's so and, easy. It is. It's super easy. And it's, you know, the algorithm behind it will get you right. And I'll be fascinated to see what, you know, from even things that it gets as far as like algorithmic commerce around knowing what someone would want to buy and presenting those things to them. And there's a whole sports aspect to that, too. But, you know, I, I think that you're right. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about it was a fitness. He was a, a fitness instructor as a fitness you know a brand. And he was talking about how in the fitness world, it's a strange story to tell, but he's like, yeah, I have to do pictures or things with my shirt off. Right. As a guy, let's talk about this because it's like, you have to get them with the sizzle to, <laughs> to give them the steak. Right. He's like, right. underneath that, there's a right. ton of really great content that I want them to consume and all of these things. But if you don't present the sizzle to get them in they're just going to scroll past and then you don't get the ability to get that deeper level. Like you're talking about with all of those, you know, the, the podcasts around training camp or the deeper level of content, if it's not catchy at first, right. sometimes they don't, it don't stick. I mean, do you see that in your work today? Is that, is that a problem that you run up against? Yeah. And a hundred percent, I think it goes back to just the attention span. You have to grab someone's attention um, immediately. And I mean, there's always been some form of that. I remember being in journalism school and you learn about the inverted pyramid version of a story where you get to the meat first because that's what's going to hook people. And then, you know, you pare down all your information. You can get more granular as you go down, but you need that hook. 
at the very beginning and you, people need to know what they're about to read right away. And I think that that is now translated into social media. And again, you know, on Instagram, something that's purely visual, uh, I can't get a lot of like my analytics or my, my analysis or anything like through on Instagram very easily. So Instagram is really just about building my own brand to get people to kind of follow me on other places or recognize, oh, hey, I, I follow her on Instagram. She's on the Bucks website. Let me go check out what she does. So stuff like that is, I feel like used more just for your brand. And in that case, yeah, I mean like, yeah, you post selfies, you post like, or you post pictures of Tom Brady at practice or whatever, because that's what hooks people. And then it gets them to keep coming back. And then hopefully they'll kind of look more into it, the more they keep coming back. Um, But I think Instagram is probably the best example of that TikTok too, uh, that you just have to be immediately punchy, immediately grab people's attention. And then you can hopefully kind of, you know, get them to stay a little bit longer. That's a big thing for us when we look at time on site. Um, not only like are people going to the website, are people clicking on the website uh, on the on bucks.com, but are they staying? And that's a big part of, you know, search, search engine optimization. We stress that heavily so that you get the clicks and then trying to structure the website in a way is that it's easy to keep navigating and to keep reading things and getting headlines that are going to punch and, and catch your attention. So you stay on site because then, you know, that turns into advertising revenue that turns into, there's just this whole domino effect of, of this content stream. Yeah. The stickiness that you create on that individual fan to stay, consume your content there to continue to read other writers, read other content, consume other content that you have, you know, it, one easy thing for me from an Instagram perspective, yeah, picture of Tom Brady at practice works great, but picture of yourself at the Super Bowl also works pretty great. Yeah, and, it does. Uh, <laughs> how does that feel, right? I mean, it's a really, you know, we, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, but it's a, it was an interesting year to do that. But still, what an amazing thing to be able to be a part of. Yeah, it was definitely a lot different than it usually is just because of the limited access. And, you know, you're just not as... Like the biggest thing I love about working for a team is the relationships you build because of that camaraderie, because you're all part of the same team. You're all part of the same organization. You all want the same things. Um, and you get, you lose that obviously in a year, like we just had when you have to be separated all the time and you can't whatever. But, um, I had to lean very heavily on the relationships I had already built because at this point, you know, I couldn't do any in-person interviews. I couldn't do that. So it's like, you have to get these guys you know, you're texting them, you're calling them, you're whatever, because that's what you kind of have to resort to when you're on these Zooms. Uh, and that, that's the, as much FaceTime as you get. But that being said, it was still, you know, it beats the alternative. <laughs> like, I can't imagine having a losing year. Like, of all the teams that are losing years, I just feel bad for them in the sense of, like, you you had to put up with all of the tough times and then you weren't rewarded at the end, whereas at least we were. Um, and we had so much, I mean, like, right after the Bucks won the Super Bowl, there was an after party that we all got to go to. That was like the first time we all got to be together and see each other. Um, and that was just incredible. And I think it made you appreciate a lot of things more. Like you don't take stuff for granted that way. And there was of course like the infamous boat parade that I feel like the Bucks and Tampa now have become known for. I like after that, like the lightning did it first. It was a much smaller scale parade than what we ended up doing. But now I'm like, there's no going back. Like, you can't ever not have a boat parade now if no. this, these teams win the championship because 
you get these gems of Tom Brady stumbling off a boat or, you know, giving it, I like, I had a video that I happened to capture of him giving Antoine Winfield Jr. the deuces like he did in the, in the game to Tyreek Hill. And that video just like blew up and you just, you, and when you, when stuff like that does blow up though, as superficial as it sounds, it does kind of help you take a step back and realize the situation that you're in. And you're like, okay, this is pretty cool. Yeah. It also helps you realize that too, that all of these people at the end of the day are human beings that are enjoying, you know what I mean? And and I think sometimes it's those situations because that make me realize, wow, this is a, a person that, 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 you know, we often hold them athletes as sort of superhuman in some way, right? Because we see them in that way. So it's really cool to see those stories or that type of content because it does personalize and, and humanize it but also like you said is is really fun it's, really, it's just really fun. it is right and and there that, i think that that's you know sports is entertainment right and and at the end of the day right all the things around sports and the things that you try to create around that are are entertainment driven but i think what's really interesting to me being someone that works in technology and, and has a focus on sports you know this last year year and a half has been a really tough one Right, for so many reasons, but for sports being an in-person situation, right? But if you look at it from the flip side, for me, from a technology perspective, now I have Zoom fatigue, like I'm sure you do too, right? <laughs> but I'll be so fascinated to see what stays. And what I mean by that is I went to my first Cubs game on Father's Day um, recently, and it was packed, right? And it, But it still didn't feel like a Cubs game in 2019, Right. Right. Or 2018. And so what's going to be really interesting to me is to see what this hybrid model becomes in 2021 and 2022 and so on, because there are some things from the last, you know, 14, 16 months of being at home that were kind of interesting from a sports perspective. But on the flip side of that, you know, sports is about being in person in those experiences. But do you think there's going to be things that stick around? Well, there, I mean, I think there probably has to be. Um, I can tell you that these the there's a lot of back and forth going on right now with the NFL, the NFLPA, and the Pro Football Writers of America Association because, like, they want the writers want access back. They want to go back into these open locker rooms, and open locker rooms were something that happened two, three times a week, uh, depending on what team you're at, you, you spent, you open the locker room literally for about an hour, hour and a half media is invited in. They can talk to the guys in the locker room, stuff like that. That's where a lot of outside media does get their face time, does, you know, build their relationships. So it is very important for their jobs. But then at the same time, um, play, you have players saying, well, that's our space. And we had that space, you know, to ourselves this last year. And I think that that's something that they liked. And, you know, they were like, well, you were able to do your jobs outside of that. So why do we have to let you back in? And you see both sides of it, but it's going to be interesting to see like what the agreement is that they come to. Um, And that's kind of still being worked through as of right now, the NFL is closing locker rooms for um, training camp, training camp, the locker rooms won't be open. Um, But if that changes for the season, we'll see. Uh, I really like the hybrid model of being able to work from home kind of when appropriate. So I think the last 14, 16 months, I, we were talking earlier, but this was 
there was this culture kind of built around when you are in an office, when you are working for an organization, you should be in the office at all times. So there's this dead period of the NFL that we're in right now, where it's six weeks of players are not in the building. Coaches are not in the building. There's no one in the building that you could even talk to if you wanted to. And but we were always required to still be there. And as someone that is subjected not only to the business side of the scheduling, I'm also subjected to the team side. So in any normal year, I'm traveling with the team. I'm missing holidays. I don't get to see my family on these, you know, these breaks that, you know, everyone else might get on the business side because I'm traveling with football. And so the fact that we didn't get to, ever kind of go see our families. Cause then even in that dead period, when the players got to go see their families or go, go on vacation or whatever it was, we were expected to be in the office. Well, that's changed this year. And I'm actually talking to you from Chicago because I'm here, I'm originally from here. And so my family is here still. And I decided this year, like I can work from home and you've seen that I can work from home. So now I'm going to take advantage of this six weeks and I'm going to be, go back and hang out with my family and work, but I can be just as a productive And especially if I don't have any events that I have to cover during this period, what's the harm in that? So I hope that's. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think it's one of those things that, you know, from a, uh, if you take it outside of sports, we've seen a lot of examples of people being able to do things remotely and so on. Sports is unique in that, like you said, you know, there's the, you have to be there for the competition and those things, but this period that you're in now, it, it makes a whole lot of sense, but it's interesting that you bring up that period because from someone that sits outside of it and then, you know, sort of observes the media around sports and so on, the NFL better than any other league owns the whole year. Yeah. Right. And it is a constant, you know, yeah, this may be the dead period where, but there's still NFL content, sure. but it does seem, you know, and the NFL's done an amazing job of keeping it ever present. Is, is that something that you are constantly thinking about to really be in front of people year round? I mean, it's one of the reasons I like the NFL so much. And I like working in the NFL so much. I mean, I just love football in general, but there are, they have done a phenomenal job and a very intentional job of making sure that they own the entire year. There's something that happens in the NFL every single month. And there's something to talk about, which really helps out, you know, someone that is a content producer in the NFL, because then I don't have to, usually there's not a lot of time where I'm like stretching for content or like searching for it or really trying to pry it out of these. There's always something to be talking about. And this year especially was very interesting because this is my first experience going that deep into the playoffs, obviously. And usually like by January, mid January, I'm starting on the draft. And I'm like, I start draft content and I go to all the all-star games. I go to the senior bowl and then, you know, end up going to the combine at the end of February. Um, we didn't have, like, it was just very noticeable that we actually, it felt really rushed, which is crazy to think in the off season in the, in March, April, May, I was like, crazy busy because I was so backed up (laughs) and it felt like I didn't have enough time to cover what was happening in the NFL, despite the fact that it was not the season. And so I really appreciate that about the NFL. I like it a lot. Um, And then this period, there is a little bit, I mean, we're doing like, I wrote a bunch of stuff ahead of time. Our senior writer and I kind of went back and forth and we did a series together and it, this time is just meant for more editorial stuff where or opinion stuff. So like this is asking each other questions based on our knowledge, providing more analysis than it is reporting what happened. Um, and it's nice to even get that period of time to just kind of flex those muscles a little bit rather than just straight reporting. 
I'm sure it gives you the range to be able to do those things. And, and like you mentioned earlier, I think that at this time from an NFL perspective, fans may have more of an appetite to, to consume that long form type content and more analysis around. I mean, I know even just personally myself, I think that that is, you know, one thing that, that I do It's hard, you know, being a, having a toddler um, and have another <laughs> child soon. Like I had, I had to make a decision not long, not that long ago of, do I give up football on Saturdays or Sundays? And it's, <laughs> it's very difficult to give up football on Sundays because it's such an ingrained piece of, of, you know, I much like you had the same experience growing up. Right. And it was, it's always been ingrained in me. I think it's, it's cool to see that. So, you know, after the success of last year, how are you going to approach this year differently? Is there a different way that you have to approach this year and, and shift and evolve? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you're just hyper aware now that all eyes are on you. And like the team is obviously aware of that. Like there's a target on their back. They're the defending Super Bowl champions. They will now be, but there's a sense of even as content producers, like there's more eyeballs on the site. Um, the bucks are more in the national news. And as someone that has done this since 20, I've been in this role since 2018, back to back five and 11 seasons don't get you super noticed. So it's like, you don't, not that you don't have to be on your A game. Cause I always obviously try to be on my A game, but you're just very hyper aware that there are more eyes on what you're doing. Um, and so I think it's just being cognizant of that is the biggest thing. And then again, just being more engaged on social media. Like I really learned to speak. I feel like it's a whole other language. Like, and it's each medium has its own language. So Twitter has its own language. Instagram does. And like TikTok especially does. I joke <laughs> about it that I've started thinking in TikTok. Um, but it's true because you think about these things you've seen on TikTok, you're like, and then in everyday situations, you're like, oh, I could apply this to this sound or I could do that. Like, it's crazy how much that kind of, you get immersed in that, but um, it just, in, it engages people even further. It makes them feel closer to the team even further. So I've really tried to bolster that as much as possible. Um, just again, to bring people closer because now people care more, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, I used to joke that the Bucks were the kind of the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of the league. <laughs> And now no offense to redheads. I love redheads. Don't get, don't, don't get me in trouble. Um, but it was one of those things where just no one cared about us. And uh, now being at the forefront, you're kind of smacked in the face with that. And especially, I mean, as soon as the Bucks got Tom Brady, that was the biggest thing where numbers on the site just shot up and my, you know, my follower account just shot up and you're just like, I've got relatives even like reaching out, like what's Tom Brady? Like what? And I'm like, guys, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's the biggest thing is just to still be kind of entrenched on social media. And I, which is something that I, again, I really appreciate doing. And it still kind of goes, it kind of snowballs in some sense, right. Of, you know, to have that success on the field raises the, the level of, of content that you produce, right. but the eyeballs there continue to raise that level. And it's, it just sort of slowly moves downhill because of, of the continued engagement. So it's, it'd be, you know, fingers crossed that I mean, you're right. There's going to be a big, target on their back from a team perspective. But again, in, from your role, it's, it's really great to be able to have that level of engagement. So you mentioned those places, Carmen, where can, where can we all find you? <laughs> um, well, all my writing is done on buccaneers.com. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carmi V. And I also have a Facebook page. I think it's Bucks Carmen Vitale and then a TikTok page, Buck, or it's TikTok Carmi V. <laughs> Uh, which no, it's funny because like, bear with me on there because I'm still learning. To you laugh now, but I have I have this interesting feeling based on your continued evolution that if we have this conversation in six months, that will be your most engaged upon platform. 
Yeah, we're going to see because honestly, the Bucks have a huge following already on there. And it's one of those things where it just kind of takes off and you, the sheer number of followers and likes. And I'm like, how are there this many people on TikTok? But there are. Um, and it, it's incredible to see. Although I will say, I think the Bucks still have the biggest following on Facebook. And I think that surprises a lot of people. Hmm. Um, Facebook has an incredible like following that people don't realize um, because it's not as heavily emphasized, I feel like, on there. Um, but yeah, the Bucks have routinely always had I don't know. And it might, it, it's, it's kind of started changing. They finally reached the million mark on Twitter and on Instagram, but it took a while. So it's funny though, because it, you know, we, I think sometimes we take that for granted. I, I was it, originally, and you still think about social media. It's almost, I heard a comparison of it the other day with Netflix and Kleenex. Right. And they're like, people refer to streaming content as, Oh, it's Netflix. And like, Oh, it's kind of blah. Well, being Kleenex is pretty powerful because your brand name is used as a generic term. And it's also probably pretty profitable, right? And so to have a huge following in Facebook is, you know, still from a social media perspective, a, a giant in that. You, Carmen, you mentioned podcasts too. You can do podcasts from the site, from the, the, yes, the Bucks. All the podcasts will be on uh, the Bucks website and potentially on YouTube. We're working on building a library because of the patterns that we've, because of things like Netflix, the patterns that we've observed is people want content rolled out all at once and want to be able to binge it kind of as they go. They don't like necessarily these, you know, one, once a week episodes and stuff like that. People don't like to wait. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're trying, we're going to try that out. Um, I think, and, and have a whole library of these episodes ready to go um, before it launches. That's the goal anyway. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, but there's a lot more content uh, to come your way just from the bucks in general. And, you know, I can't say enough about the stuff that not only like my team does, but you know, the NFL is doing and pushing us in the right ways and stuff like that. So yeah, check it out. It's not just me on the website. Obviously there's, there's a whole host of very talented people that it go, you know, they make up this incredible department and this incredible team. And we certainly will. And I mean, Carmen, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. And, and like I said, to start, thank you so much for all the, the work that you do from, from being such a great ambassador for, for Northwestern and for, for the MSA program. And we really, really appreciate the chance to catch up and we will certainly try to catch up again, again, down the road. Well, I appreciate it. I always joke that um, because Arizona State, while their journalism program is very prestigious, that's not the first thing people think of when they hear Arizona State. So I always joke that I legitimize myself with my Northwestern education. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm an ambassador all day long for you guys. Trust me. It has worked out very well for you overall. And, and you know, it, it's really cool to see all the stuff that you do. And we'll continue to, to consume all that stuff. So thank you so much, Carmen, for all the time. Thank you for having me.